Welcome to the J. Kim Show, Hong Kong's very first podcast focused on entrepreneurship and investing in Asia. Join us as we survey the land and discover the greatest companies and most profitable investment opportunities in Asia. If this is your first time listening, thank you for stopping by. This podcast is produced every week with the goal of providing actionable insights to you, the listener, with every single episode. And now, on to the show. Hi, Megan. How are you doing? Thanks, Jay. Thanks for having me. I'm very happy to be here. Great. Um, so for the audience watching in uh, from around the globe, maybe you could give us a little uh, introduction, a quick intro. Who's Megan Cox and what do you do for a living? Sure. Um, yep. Yeah, as Jay said, my name is Megan. I am a 2014 graduate of MIT. And after I graduated MIT, um, I decided to move to China. And I moved here by myself. That sounds crazy. Um, I've been here for three years now. Um, I have my own beauty brand, Amelie. And when I moved to China, I found factories here on the ground and I worked directly with them um, for my packaging. And from there, I started doing consulting. So I have a consulting firm, Genie Supply, where I help other beauty entrepreneurs get started in China as well. Mm. Ah, very nice. So, um, so this is pretty exciting to me. So uh, you... You, uh, it sounds like you, you, you were an entrepreneur, uh, kind of had this tendency inside of you for a while. Um, yeah. and was, was your decision to move to China based off of basically the business and, and your desire to really kind of research on the ground, um, you know, the supply side of, of your business based in China? Is that, is that why you moved here? Yeah, it was, it was a little bit stronger than that. I started my beauty brand, Amelie, when I was in college. It was um, the year before I graduated, like the summer before I graduated. And I had a lot of packaging issues. So I had worked so hard to get all of these customers. And then um, my, my packaging just was like not working halfway through the product. It would just stop working. And this happened on two different versions with two different factories. So then um, it was kind of a last ditch effort. I just told my customers, I'm just going to go to China and figure this out myself. And I'm going to blog about it the whole way and you guys are going to be involved in the process but I promise you that I'm committed to solving this issue and then I never really left wow yeah. that's awesome <laughs> well how did you come up with this uh with your business in college I um was cheerleading and dancing and I used to get um eyelash extensions because I was performing all the time so I'm like I'm just gonna get the extensions and keep them on mm -hmm. but they ended up destroying my natural lashes so I wanted to regrow my lashes. And when I looked at products in the market and, you know, like being the nerd I am, I also looked at the research, um, like in the MIT database, I just saw this big gap and I decided to take that research, which is already, you know, done by scientists, published, peer reviewed, and then uh, commercialize it and turn it into a product. So my first product was called Wink and it helps um, regrow lost eyebrows and eyelashes. That's pretty interesting. Um, yeah. I think my wife would like your product because she's always <laughs> like... You know, she, she, it's actually quite popular here, the, the eyelash extension stuff, but she always yeah. rips them out after like two days because she's like, I can't, yeah. I can't deal with it. And uh, that that's exactly what I did. And yeah. you waste all that money. And then like it destroys your natural lashes. So you're in a worse position than you started in, like in a lot of ways. Yeah. So yeah, I can send you some. That, <laughs> Just <laughs> <across> the border. <laughs> yeah. Right. That's awesome. So, um, so, so it was, it was actually kind of solving a, personal pain point and you decide to be an entrepreneur uh, and, and figure out a solution for it. And then, uh, so after you graduated from college, the business was running, 
to the point where you were generating enough revenue to survive off that business? Yeah. And, um, I would say after my first year I was doing, I was doing over six figures. So it was enough for me to live on. Um, and I made a lot of mistakes along the way. So it was enough for me to live on, be self-funded and make all of those mistakes and keep going. Right. That's awesome. And was your, originally you sourced your product directly from China or was it elsewhere? And then you kind of stumbled upon Chinese suppliers. How did that work? I had to get the packaging from China. So the wink is in, it's housed in this aluminum tube that you Mm -hmm. twist to get the liquid to come out. Um, I made the formulation in the States myself in the beginning. Um, And then I I had to get the packaging here because there weren't any factories in the U S. So it's just, I mean, I had to go to China. Right. Okay. So, so it was, uh, tell, tell, tell me a little bit about the, the workflow then. So it was, you had, you had the solution yourself that you, yeah. you created in the States and yeah. then you would ship your, your solution to China and get a package. Oh, no, or- no, way. no, 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 no. <laughs> so I would, what I did. Okay. And in the beginning I was like, I have no idea where to start. So I started on Alibaba, like everybody. Mm-hmm. Um, this seems like OG though. This is five years ago. And <laughs> I, I finally found um, a factory that I think it was an agency. They're willing to offload like 500 units. So I got them screen printed and shipped to me. Um, I, I did have to buy like, I don't know, 5,000 or 10,000 boxes though. No one would do less. And then I made the liquid and I filled the bottles by hand. Like oh. it just, yeah. You only have to follow good manufacturing practices in the States. So it really wasn't an issue. Just you download the manual from the FDA, read it. And that's, yeah, follow it. Right. Now it must've been, an, uh, at this point was your, you already had proof of concept. Is that why you were comfortable with getting 10,000 or whatever shipments units shipped over? Or were you just kind of rolling the dice and saying, okay, I'm going to figure it out and I might end up with 10,000 empty. Yeah. <laughs> no, no, I had no idea. I was just like, I need a box because mm-hmm. you need somewhere to put the ingredient list according to FDA standards. So right. I, I had a set amount of money. Like I had $1,800 to incorporate and get my first product out. And wow. then I spent all of it and I had all these leftover boxes, but I didn't care. Like it didn't matter. Mm-hmm. I just, I was happy to have the product and then it was a challenge for me to sell it. But then that first few months were actually really easy. And I ended up reordering within like two months. Wow. Okay. Yeah. And was your experience dealing with um, Alibaba? How was that? Was that, was that, was there a bit of a learning curve to go up there? Um, because I feel like, if I was in the States trying to do the same thing, I wouldn't even know where to start. And it's crazy because I've yeah. been living in Asia and Hong Kong and Alibaba is <laughs> like, everyone talks about it. But, you know, how did you even start that? I don't even know how I found Alibaba because I hadn't heard anyone talking about it. Um, but I really spent the entire summer talking to suppliers and just begging them. But everyone just said 10,000, like 10,000 is the, the MOQ for sure in cosmetics, like 10,000, 10,000, 10,000. And then finally someone was like, okay, 500. And I feel like I was sending my money into the void. Like I had no oh, idea yeah. what was going to happen. Yeah. I was like, I don't know if this nope. is going to work. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> um, and I really don't feel like I ever mastered working with suppliers until I finally came here. And it's mm-hmm. still, it's still like always a learning process. You, you're always learning new things and there's like all kinds of tips and tricks, I guess. Yeah. Um, and I switched suppliers every batch, the first five batches of packaging. Wow. I couldn't find a stable supplier. Yeah. I, I, I'm still nervous myself. I mean, if I, you know, I, I, I don't speak Chinese or I don't know if, do you speak Chinese? I Are speak you Mandarin. Like, you do. Okay. Yeah. Um, 
So I guess that does help um, to a certain degree. Uh, I, I feel like if I were to do to embark on that sort of, I would just get ripped off. <laughs> I just, I would like, <laughs> I would probably get like sent an empty box of nothing, you know, and like, uh, see you later, you know. Um, so, but that kind of leads me down to, uh, you know, a little bit further in your story. So you said that you you're finally okay. You know what? I'm gonna pick up and figure out this thing for myself. So I'm going to just move over to, to China. So tell me about that experience. You know, I, um, before we started, before I hit record, I told you that, you know, I've been in Hong Kong for 12 years now. Yeah. I moved here in 2005 and it was completely different back then. Uh, and I imagine things have got, I, I imagine they must be a little bit easier uh, to move as a foreigner, but um, I'm still very curious because most of the, my peers are similar to me because I, I met them when I first moved over here. So I'm very interested yeah. uh, to hear what your experience was like moving over to, you know, halfway around the world to, to China. It was nuts. It was insane. <laughs> <laughs> um, before this, I had lived in, like, for, you know, internships and school. I lived in Boston, Miami, and L.A. And every one of them I felt was, you know, somewhat of a culture shock because I, I grew up in the Midwest. Um, but then when I came to China, it was just like an entirely different world. And I don't feel like I was able to even, um, like I came here with really high ambitions. Like I'm going to find a factory and I'm going to do this and I'm going to mm -hmm. do that. And, and I did make it work. Um, but I still don't feel like I even had a grip on ordering my own food and like taking care of my own needs here for at least a year. Like it right. was just such a steep learning curve. Right. And yeah. were you, were, so what was your, I mean, were your parents okay with that or they like, I'm, I'm like, I'm leaving, I'm going to China, you know, like, <laughs> yeah, they don't have a lot of say. Yeah. <laughs> they were just kind of like, okay, honey, like, yeah, good luck. Yeah. Um, so, so, so tell me, so you landed and then you immediately, you basically were targeting to find those package suppliers for your business. That was the immediate, that was the main mission, right? Yeah. Right. And then, so yeah. what, what led you to basically, uh, not getting back on that return flight? <laughs> <laughs> um, there was no return flight, first of all. Okay, one way, okay. <laughs> I was like, I'm staying here until I figure this out. Um, and I will be completely honest, now that that's like almost three years behind me, I had no freaking clue what I was doing. Like whenever I write, I was like, I have no game plan. Mm -hmm. I don't know what I'm going to do, but this was all like a very big, um, I don't know, just like, I don't want to say show, but it was for my customers because I just want to show them like I'm dedicated to solving this problem. Right. Um, and I did, but I had to go to Alibaba to find those manufacturers and then just had them all send samples to me and tested all the samples and then started going to their factories in person. Once I got through the samples that were like total crap, then I would go see the better factories and see their operations and discuss some of the finer details with them. And then I sent packaging directly to my customer's home to 10 of 10 of them that had been with me, you know, since the beginning, I sent them the packaging, um, with some surveys and then. Um, aggregated all the data and chose a supplier from there. Wow. So you actually got feedback from your clients, customers. Yeah, I really did. You, yeah. really, you really had their best interests at heart. That's, that's, that's amazing. Um, okay. So, uh, so again, uh, after you figured out what, what the best packaging was, um, you know, you could have just hopped on a plane and, and, and come back, but instead you decided to stay here. Uh, what, why, why did you decide that? There's just too much here 
to, to see and do and everything was moving so quickly. I had just never seen anything like that in the States before. Like buildings would go up in weeks. I mean, mm-hmm. insanely big buildings. And it just felt like everything was moving so quickly. I felt that I had to be a part of it. I didn't know what that meant yet, especially because the formulations for all my products are made in the US. And I really still didn't have a clue what I was doing. And at that point, my Mandarin was like laughable. I mean, probably still is laughable to most people, but it was like really bad at that point. <laughs> Um, but I just felt like I had to stay. I felt like there was more for me to do here and that I wasn't done. I mean, mm-hmm. China is just way too interesting for me to give up at that point. Yeah. I mean, yeah. you know, you're, uh, you're brave. Uh, even myself, I wasn't brave. I, I, I came to Hong Kong because I was too scared to go straight into China. And Hong Kong is an easy place <laughs> for, for uh, Americans to come in because everyone speaks English and whatnot. But yeah. um, uh, so, so that's pretty, uh, that's, that's actually a very fascinating story. Now, do you have, someone stateside that can that's helping you with your with your operations there yeah yeah i have two employees there that help me oh, okay and then do you also have a team based in shenzhen as well mm, i have an assistant here but that's okay. it okay yeah. so um so that was basically um your your uh your 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 product line and then you said you also have since uh, some sort of consulting business for for basically people that were like you yeah. like before you moved over that yeah. needed help, right? Right. Like a few of my contacts had been reading my blogs and um, they just said, hey, can you do that for me? Like mm-hmm. I need someone in China that can go check the packaging for me or negotiate something. Um, someone said, I can't get this product made anywhere in the world. There's a wait list. It's two years long. Do you know anybody? Mm-hmm. So it just started very organically like that. And um my, the last five clients that I've signed on though, were just complete strangers that found me. So now it's starting to evolve into like a real consulting business outside of my own contacts. And are they like us based or, or what? Yeah. Yeah. Mostly us based. Mostly us. Yeah. And they're all, and it's all you're, you're niche down to cosmetics. Yeah. right. 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 Okay. So do you feel like now that you've been there for a couple of years, you, within that niche you kind of have a good idea of like who the reliable uh, suppliers are and that sort of thing do you think you have it pretty mapped out you have a good grasp on it with certain products i had to build that network from the ground up and Mm -hmm. i don't my own line doesn't include all of the products that i manufacture for so there were still some things that i had to learn and still some new contacts that i had to make um but now i feel like i have a really tight circle and those are the only people I work with and it moves very, very smoothly. But in the beginning, it was a lot of legwork. Right. To build up that number. You didn't have any friends or anything that, that, I mean, contacts there initially or. No, literally just, <laughs> that's so, that's so brave. I mean, even when I moved over here, I had, I had high school friends that lived in Hong Kong and that's made it super easy for me to, to, to come over. But, um, um, so what were some of the, uh, if you could share with the audience, what were some of the, the biggest challenges that you faced when you first got there? Um, you know, I mean, obviously you learned Mandarin, I guess, on the, as soon as you arrived. And were you, are you taking yeah. classes or you were or just kind of learning? Had a private tutor. I had a private tutor for three months before I got here. And then since then, like, because I'm by myself, I really didn't have a choice and humans are extremely adaptable. So things, you know, moved pretty smoothly. Mm-hmm. I had books, I have audio tapes. Um, but at this point, like I do have Chinese friends. So that's the only way we have to communicate. 
Right. So that, yeah. that helps. And can you, and how about your, like, you can also read and write as well. My writing's better than my reading. Mm. Um, I like, if there's an extra stroke, I'm really not going to catch it. So mm. sometimes I'll be reading things out loud and people are like, what are you doing? Because <laughs> I will like completely miss a word or two in a sentence. So yeah, my, my writing's way better than my reading because opinion. Right. Um, any, what, what else, what, what other challenges did you face? Um, you know, uh, being a, businesswoman in uh in china or or just doing business in general as a westerner um you know it's it's funny because when i came over here my challenge was you know i don't speak chinese but my challenge was that everyone assumed i spoke chinese because i look asian right i'm korean (laughs) so uh i used to tell all my western friends you know what you guys are lucky because they automatically assume you don't speak so they just think that i'm an idiot that that can't speak (laughs) yeah right 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 yeah, um, but were there any other, <laughs> any other sort of challenges that you faced, um, you know, moving over there, uh, you know, setting up your business um, in general uh, that you could, you know, now three years later, looking back uh, that you could have avoided knowing what you know now? I'm just trying to, if there's any people in the audience that are perhaps as brave as you thinking about trying mm-hmm. to make a move, uh, if there's any tips or advice that you could give. I would say that um, if you're trying to decide where to spend your time um, best in terms of, you know, if you were going to do business in China, um, learning about Chinese culture is way more important than learning the Chinese language. Um, Because, I mean, culture is extremely important here, like period. It it rules daily life. It rules business um, and it runs deep. But also, even if you can speak Mandarin, most people here can speak more than one dialect of Chinese. So in business, they're going to circumvent you. And there's just no way around that. Like if you can speak Mandarin, they'll speak Cantonese. If you can speak Mandarin, if you can speak Cantonese, they're going to speak Tochu. If you can speak Tochu, they're going to speak Kaka. So I would say if you're going to spend your time doing something, then that would be learning about Chinese culture. Huh. That's pretty interesting. It's, and it's not something that people would, people would automatically assume language is the first thing and the most important thing for you to master. But um, it doesn't make sense what you're saying um, that, yeah, people can speak multiple dialects or, or they'll just cut you out of the, the, the conversation altogether. Right? Um, right. That's, that's pretty interesting. What can you tell me a little bit about the trends that you're seeing in your space, in your niche uh, within China? I mean, you must have, have gone over there and without really knowing what cosmetics is like in China, like how, how different is it from, what you're seeing uh, back at home and uh, what are the trends that you see uh, shaping up right now? I would say just like from a global perspective, um, the fact that celebrity is becoming something that's um, much smaller, much more like in much smaller packages is giving, um, is making it so that people want to, everyone wants to make their own brand and they want to do so on a small scale. So when you look at the traditional factory model, people want to make, they want you to order 10,000 of something and that Mm -hmm. doesn't work. That doesn't make room for entrepreneurs in the market. It doesn't make room for all these like micro brands that are coming out, you know, like Instagram celebrities, YouTube celebrities, Mm -hmm. these people also want to make their own brands and they want to monetize that. Um, So what I found is that I have found other young people in China that know this and they see this and they're moving towards smaller and smaller quantities and being able to do things in smaller and smaller packages. We can charge a lot more money to do that, but there's like, there's definitely a big market for that right now. And that's just 
moving from that traditional large scale model down to something smaller. Um, so for example, 10,000 units is usually the minimum for anything mm-hmm. um, in terms of lip gloss, liquid lipsticks, that type of thing, which is very popular right now in the U S um, you, in the U S you might be able to make 25,000 units per color in China. It might be 10,000 units per color, but for my clients, I can get you a hundred units per color. And that's oh, just wow. something, yeah, that's just something that I have been able to do with my network here. Cause I found like-minded people, um, usually like younger 30 something Chinese who own factories here. Oh, wow. Okay. So that's, that's yeah. actually quite a, it, from an entrepreneur's standpoint, that's very helpful um, yeah. to, to run sort of your uh, proof of concept, minimum viable products. You push that out in a small quantity. You don't have to put, do this yeah. large upfront investment of 10,000 units and you can basically see if it works or, or not and then and, and limit your downside. So that I can see that as being quite helpful. Do you have, do you sell any uh, of your products into China? No, um, there's involuntary animal testing if you want to sell a product in a cosmetic product in China. So anytime that a U.S. customer even catches a whiff of that, they'll just drop your brand. It's it's that's like its whole. There's like a very popular blog in the U.S. I mean, there's a lot, but there's like a very very popular one that just alerts people whenever brands are no longer cruelty free because they're selling in China. So this is a really big deal. Oh wow, that's something yeah. I've, ne- I've never even heard of. So anyone that sells <laughs> cosmetics. Wait, so if you sell cosmetics into China, then they, they automatically can, wait, they can test it on animals? Yeah, I'm the confused. CFDA, the CFDA, like the Chinese FDA, you know, they, they um, force you to do involuntary, meaning they'll do it. They will do animal testing with your products if you want to, if you want to enter the Chinese market. So the only way around that is like, I'm not sure. I don't even think it's What are they testing for? Testing for like toxins or? No, it, all the animal testing has to do with allergic reactions and you know, what percentage of people are going to have allergic reactions. You can Google it. You're going to say, why did you make me Google that? But (laughs) (laughs) they like test things on bunnies and you know, dogs, cats, rats. Which sounds ridiculous coming from China because I feel like the standards that we have in the States are much higher. (laughs) Yeah, Uh, So why do they have to? You know, why did I have to test them on animals? But I guess I could see why it's uh, it's like a big outrage for groups like PETA or whatever, um, similar yeah. groups. Um, interesting. So one of, the, uh, one of the other things that I wanted to ask you about, um, which is something that I kind of just recently learned more about, is like the whole KOL scene, like key opinion leader and these like micro celebrities. Um, are you on Chinese social media a lot? Um, I'm on Eatable. I have a, it's the, you know, Weibo's like live video. So I have an account there. I do makeup tutorials. Mm -hmm. Um, but otherwise I'm not super plugged into the Chinese social media. Okay. Um, yeah, yeah, I mean, I was just curious because, um, when you were mentioning sort of, um, uh, like Instagram and influencers and that sort of thing, you know, I, I know that in China, the KOL scene is, is getting bigger and bigger where, these micro celebrities could really help propel someone's brand within China. Obviously um, doesn't yeah. really uh, relate affect you, but um, uh, yeah, I, I was just curious if you had, uh, had seen anything or, 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 uh, or noticed anything there. Um, so, so what uh, let's talk about um, uh, what you're working on sort of for the future. I mean, you obviously have your product line, you have your consultancy business, 
Where do you, uh, what do you, do you have anything exciting planned for sort of the next six months to a year? I mean, it's China, so there's a lot, things move very fast there. A lot of things can change. <laughs> yeah. Um, wow, that's tough. Yeah. With, I mean, with my own line, I'm launching a new product uh, in two weeks on September 1st. So that's okay. new for me. Um, and then in terms of, yeah, in terms of consulting, I actually am looking at opening up a lab state side. Um, to do some of the smaller batch things because while we can do them here in China, um, it's starting to make more sense to do some of that in the U.S. and keep some of it here. Like obviously the packaging and the screen printing all has to be done here, but that's something that I'm looking at doing in the future too. Um, yeah, there's a lot of reasons for that. What is um, when you're shipping your stuff back and forth? Have you found um, any uh, economical? Uh, shippers or, or service providers to, to handle that sort of thing when, I mean, your, your product's constantly being shipped uh, halfway around the world, right? So what, how do you... Yeah. Yeah, that's actually what I'm thinking of opening a lab in the States because for the smaller, um, mm -hmm. for the smaller packages, like especially if you're just doing custom samples in the beginning, if you're sending samples back and forth from the U.S., like they'll rack up $500 and $600 bills just on shipping alone. And that's a lot for them to waste. They could be paying me that instead, right? <laughs> that's true. That's very true. Um, yeah, but I did find um, an economical shipper on um, on AliExpress, I think, recently. And I just sent a package yesterday for like 128 RMB to the U.S. And it's normally like $50 or $60. And that's, mm, I don't know, $18, $19. Yeah, so I'm, that's I'm, really good. I'm finding cheaper and cheaper ways to get there with, yeah. Yeah, I think it's just a matter of time uh, before you before you uh, find the, the best solution. Um, well, listen, Megan, it's it's really good connecting with you. Uh, thanks for coming on and sharing your story. Um, I think it's fascinating. Uh, before we uh, look to wrap up, is there any sort of last words of advice for for someone that maybe uh, like you, entrepreneur, that wants to actually move to China and get in there and, and do some business and, and kind of get boots on the ground um, based on, you know, the last three years that you've been there and what you've seen and learned, uh, what can you leave? What piece of advice could you leave to our audience? I would say if you're thinking about it, definitely just do it, just dive in headfirst and do it. And when you're here, um, do everything that you can to meet people and keep getting out there and meeting people. It's really easy to, just want to stay in your apartment and feel comfortable, but it's great to just go out there every single day and keep trying as hard as you can to network and meet more people because that's the only way that you're going to keep moving. Yeah, absolutely. I think it's, uh, it's as daunting as it is. It's what you put into it is what you'll get back out of it. So, um, exactly. it's definitely one of those things. Well, great. Thanks a lot. Um, can you tell us where our audience can follow you, find you, connect with you and learn a little bit more about, uh, your products and your, your service, your consulting service? Yeah, sure. Um, my beauty line is called Amelie. You can find us at AmelieBeauty.com. That's A-M-A-L-I-E. Mm -hmm. And for any consulting questions, you can find me um, at GenieSupply.com or you can email me directly, Megan, M-E-G-A-N, at GenieSupply.com. And, and do you have a, do you run a blog? I know you're, you're pretty active on core, which is where I've yeah. read most of your stuff, which that's why it's, it's really fascinating because I, I love um, the on the ground kind of just you documenting your journey that sort of those stories are really, uh, fun and, and entertaining. Do you, do you, do you write on a blog as well or is it mostly on Quora? Mostly on Quora. I, 
you know, I have my own beauty blog too, because most of our um, visitors come from organic search. So I get pretty busy. I just use Quora for all of my mm-hmm. China stories, all my boots on the ground stories. Yeah. Those are, those yeah. are the, uh, those are the, the really fun ones to read. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> all right, Megan, thanks again. Uh, we really appreciate it. And uh, best of luck in China. Thank you. Thanks for having me. All right. Take care. I hope you enjoyed today's episode. All the show notes and links can be found over at jkimshow.com. Come back often and make sure you subscribe, rate, and review. Don't forget to join us next week for another exciting episode of The J. Kim Show. I'd love to hear your comments. You can find me on Twitter at jkimmer, J-A-Y-K-I-M-M-E-R. See you guys next week. This podcast is brought to you by Hack Your Fitness, the high achiever's guide to getting ripped in under three hours a week. If you're anything like me, you're probably working a full-time job or jobs and trying to find time to balance family life, social life, and last but not least, fitness. Look, I get it. I'm a full-time investor and entrepreneur myself and father of two. So how am I able to stay fit year-round without spending hours and hours in the gym killing myself on the cardio machine? After struggling for the last 15 years trying every workout and diet under the sun, I finally designed a system that allows me to achieve and maintain single-digit body fat for life in under 3 hours a week. Cardio not required. Head on over to hackyour.fitness and download my free 13-page guide that teaches you the simple science behind efficient fitness and smart nutrition and gives you everything you need to know to finally take control of your life. That's hackyour.fitness.